Hello and welcome to the RPG Academy podcast. My name is Michael, and I'm here today with my favorite co-host and yours, the Caleb G. Caleb, say hello to everyone. Hey, everyone. Hey, Michael. Glad to be here, as always. Happy to have you with me, sir. And we are here for another edition of The Reviews, and that is our series of podcasts where we review TTRPG products. And today, you are going to talk about a new game that you got to look at, the Blade Runner RPG from our friends over at Freely. Yeah, and it is fantastic. I love it. All right, good to know. So just a quick little sort of thing here. I have not looked at this game. Caleb has. I watched the original Blade Runner back in college, which for me, a long time ago. A long time ago. And I thought it was okay. I I did not love it. I did not follow up. I don't don't know that I've seen it since, and I have not seen the new movie. So that is my knowledge of Blade Runner. And I think I've said before, I'm not a big cyberpunk fan in general. I would say that genre is what this game falls under. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I will be asking the dumb questions so that Caleb can sound smart about this game that he really likes. So... I don't remember the first time I watched Blade Runner, but I remember being young and I remember being very confused because Blade Runner is a really confusing movie, but it's a great movie, but it's also very boring. And then we got the sequel, which as, uh, as, as our friend Big Al the Lawyer says, it's the best possible sequel to Blade Runner in which absolutely nothing happens and it's kind of boring i'm paraphrasing al i'm sorry i didn't get your quote right it's a really boring movie but it's a great follow-up and it's a perfect sequel (laughs) and then i've read the original book do androids dream of electric sheep by philip k dick a dozen times over my life and it's a great book it's hands down a great book definitely not focused on the cyberpunk genre it's like a thing but it's not the focus of the book the book is very much not (laughs) typical cyberpunk at all fair enough so this game is built on the year zero engine i believe uh, which many if not most of friedley games are though there are some tweaks specifically for this before we get into that though for for people who are uninitiated, my memory of Blade Runner is that it is the future, though I watched it so long ago, it may have been set before 2023 as we are currently in now. And there was at one point in time, a whole bunch of replicants that were made. These were like artificial um, AI humanoid passing like cyborg mm-hmm. robot droid sort of things yep uh and they were to be made to do work so that people could enjoy their life yes and the robots are like uh fuck you uh revolt <laughs> yes um and then we had to deal with that uh but we are not sure if we got all of them and so right. there was a whole task force set up with making sure that anybody who was acting a little squirrely whether or not they were real i would assume like a blood test would have helped like you know, pee in a cup, but I don't remember how advanced, like if these are like Terminator style, they could get away with that. I don't know. But anyways, that's the world in which Blade Runner, the movie was set. And that is the world in which this game is based. If I understand correctly, that is 99% accurate and an that's excellent better than su- usual for me and an excellent summary. <laughs> so the, the game is set in 2037. The sequel movie was Blade Runner 2049. 
So the game is just before the movie itself, which is kind of giving us the backstory of what we see in Blade Runner 2049. If we go backwards in history of the Blade Runner world, basically the world was trashed by humans. It was an ecological disaster. So the rich and elite all go out to space or the moon or the Mars settlements and whatnot. And it creates this huge caste system and disparity between the rich elites living either in the upper levels of the big sprawly metropolis super cities or out in space and the lowly peon humans living in the gutters dealing with sickness and radioactive decay and blah, 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 a destroyed world. We created these replicants to do all the work on the broken world and the replicants, just like you said, "Eh, that noise, we don't want to do that. So they started killing humans and There's multiple iterations of the replicants, and there's a huge timeline. The book, the game book, does an excellent version of summarizing the timeline and making it very easy to grasp and navigate when you're running a game, which is, for me personally, a huge win. When I'm stepping into an IP, an established story, one of my biggest fears as a player or a narrator for a game is that I'm going to do something that contradicts the established fiction. And I know ultimately it doesn't matter because if you're having fun at the table, it's going to be a great game and and who cares, but I feel some sort of uh, requirement on me, on my shoulders that if I'm playing star Wars, I better know star Wars. I don't want to say something that contradicts star Wars. If I'm playing X-Men, or Justice League, I don't want to contradict the established fiction. Uh, the, the game book for Blade Runner summarizes the history, the key facts, the major players. It's really easy. It's succinct. I love that. Lots of other games. Um, well, Dune. Dune is a book series I love and a game that I love, but the the summary of dune's history is massive because it was it's a huge 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 universe justifiably so but trying to understand what's happening in a story like that is harder the the book does a great job of telling you here's how you here's what's happened in blade runner in the past here's where you are in the time here's how to tell that story okay and uh in the original blade runner movie the only way to figure out who was a replicant or not was to do this really complicated test that was observing skin pigmentation and dilation of the eyes. They had to set up the Voight-Kampf machine that had like the zoom in on the eyes and you asked these really weird questions for hours and hours in this interrogation. And then you decided if they were robots or not. In, in this version in 2037, it's there's been a huge advance in technology. Um, So it's way easier to figure out who's a replicant or not. But interestingly, the stories of the tabletop game aren't just about let's push the button and see if you're a robot. And if you are, we have to kill you. It's really about the hard ethical and moral choices of being essentially a government licensed assassin. And everyone knows what you are and everyone kind of hates you, but everyone is terrified of 
an uprising and getting murdered by a replicant because of this negative PR media job. Mm-hmm. So you're a very necessary evil and everyone in the world pretty much treats you as such. So it sounds like a world for someone who's not really into that type of genre, cyberpunk in general, though, but that feels like a world full of complications, drama, conflict. That's yes. ripe for a role-playing game. Absolutely. So um, spoilers for the first movie, I think Deckard's a replicant, um, or at Probably. least there's still questions about that. So when you, this game, when we sit down to play it, are we all going to play replicant hunters? Are some of us going to secretly be replicants? Are we going to play replicants on the run from the government and or all? So this is where the book is a little bit interesting. Okay. This book, more than anything, reads like a campaign setting for a very specific story. Okay. The majority of the book is telling us about the city of L.A. in 2037. The vast majority of the book is telling us about characters, locations, different districts of the city, major power players of different corporations, the police force itself, the government. When you roll a character in this game, you are a cop. You are a member of the RDU, the Replicant Detection Unit. The rules can be used to do anything, absolutely. Mm-hmm. But oh, yeah. if, if we are reading the book cover to cover, all right, everybody, let's sit down and play. We're going to be replicant hunters. We're going to work for the police department. The chief is going to give us a mission and we're going to go do it. Like that's the game. The game okay. is very much come down to my office. I got a mission for you, says the chief, who is introduced in the book. And there's references to the movie that we see in 2049. So like At 10 years later. At some point, he's going to take your badge and gun and complain about how old he is? Uh, or that, okay. as it, even with a joke, that is legitimately part of this game <laughs> because part of the leveling up is earning promotions or getting demotions. If, oh, yeah. if you screw around too much, that's not, it's not a, just a joke. So, um, yeah, the story as it's presented is very simple. You're a cop, you get a mission, you go do the job. That's it. When you roll up a character, you got three choices. You can be a human, you can be a replicant, or you can let the narrator decide. And you don't know, you think you're a human. Or you might think you're a replicant and you don't know. But kind of the default is if you let the narrator or the GM decide for you secretly, you think you're human. Right, right, yeah. If you say, I want to play a replicant, then you know you are a replicant. And there are select replicants that are approved to work for the police department. Oh, okay. Um, what we see in the timeline is that older generations of the replicants were the ones that rose up and started killing people. And that's what the, the PR smear campaign is saying, watch out for these fellas. Uh, but the newer models are much better, much more efficient, much more improved. They won't rebel. They're here just to do a good job. So many of them have roles within society, specifically in the police department. And they carry such a a heavier weight on their shoulders because everyone knows they're a replicant. So everyone kind of hates them and is scared of them. And their job is to go out 
and kill their brothers, more or less, because their brothers might kill people. But at the end of the day, they're still a replicant who people are scared of that eventually they're probably going to want to get killed themselves. Right, right, yeah. Yeah, it's this horrible cycle of trauma (laughs) and grief. Gotcha. Okay. Now, I I would assume that replicants are enhanced physically over humans. Does the game roll like, you know, am I stronger, faster, am I worth $6 billion? Um. I, I think probably inflation wise, it might be trillions at this oh, point okay. <laughs> or quadrillions. I don't know. Yeah. But yes, uh, if, if we're going to talk about stats and mechanics here, is this is a very simple system. As you said earlier, this is based on the uh, year zero engine. So you've got four attributes, which are basically your stats, and then a total of 13 skills. And they are all given a dice value ranged from a D6 to a D12. And from those dice values, you extrapolate a couple basic things, like some other stats are based off of those. Um, and essentially, when you do a skill check, you create a pool of dice, one from your attribute, one from the applicable skill. You roll those two dice, and a six or higher on either dice is a success. If you roll a 10 or higher, you've got two successes. Basically, getting one success means you're successful. There's not a DC of successes to get over. And the more successes you get, that's when you can get some bonuses, uh, specifically in fighting. That's when you can unlock some criticals. And as opposed to a standard D20 game where a critical hit is just extra damage, there's actually tables of uh, mechanical benefits that you, based on the weapon type you're using. So a critical with a handgun is going to be different than a critical with punching somebody or a sword. I went into that to say, as a replicant, yes, you do have, you're, you're, you're stronger and faster. So you've got better strength and better agility. Um, you've got some better health as a replicant. And to keep it simply, there's kind of physical health and mental health. So you can deal with kind of the stress and trauma of these heavy ethical, moral quandaries that you find yourself in here as, as, a, as a government cop assassin. And so humans versus replicants have different ways of responding to different types of damage. And they similarly have different ways of recovering from damage. Okay. Which actually brings up a very interesting part of the game. The game is kind of set in shifts because a cop works a shift right right. so as you're solving the case you're moving through shifts of the day and one of the rules is you have to spend a shift not working you have to have some downtime okay and there is actually mechanical structure to what you do during that downtime and how that possibly helps you recover or makes things worse for you or helps you find a contact who may have some information or puts you in conflict with another potential power in the city like there's lots of tables you can roll on for random stuff that happens during the shift or during downtime and it's really a good way to kind of bring up that random organic you're in a massive city with billions of people and crazy stuff happens okay kind of vibe now i'm not the most familiar with the year zero engine i've played a couple of games like forbidden lands i think i played one other i don't remember the dice being higher than d6s is that a blade runner thing or is that a year zero thing i just don't remember 
I am not familiar enough with the Yurzo system to answer that question. Okay. But specifically in this Blade Runner game, they let us go from a D6 up to a D12. D12, of course, being the best, best dice yes, possible. Absolutely. Good choice on their part. Um, when, you're, when you are building a character from scratch, you basically start with either a D6 or a D8. And then, interestingly, based on your choices or random roles, if you choose to, to define your length of service in the police force, as well as your uh, role or job in the department, you get a certain number of points that you can invest in your your skills and attributes to up the dice size. Gotcha. And I assume, again, with the skills, the way it works, like if I'm going to shoot, I probably have an attribute that's like dex or shooting related, and then I might have a skill that's like gun or Mm -hmm. something related. I would roll both of those. Are they additive or is it just best one or how how would I determine or any of them is a six, then it's a success, right? That last one. If a, a six or higher on either die that you roll is a success for the action, period. So rolling more dice, more likely to get a six. Rolling higher dice, more likely to get better than a six. Right. There is an advantage-disadvantage mechanic. So based on certain situations, you'll either get an extra die or you'll lose a die. Very simple to kind of navigate the bonuses and challenges of a fight. Uh, You can also push your roll. So after your roll, you can choose to roll another die at the expense of uh, physical endurance, damage. This is another area where humans and replicants differ. Okay. Pushing as a human versus pushing as a replicant, you take that damage in different ways. Uh, This is a very lethal game. Okay. If we're talking about hit points, you might have six or seven hit points. Weapon damage can be five or six so this is very much a you get shot you're probably getting taken out kind of game. okay all right now so again i i know the year zero engine there's already a bunch of different games out for it and there's really not a lot keeping me if i'm already familiar with year zero to just do my own version of blade runner so you've already talked a little bit about how the book does a really good job of kind of summarizing the world that Blade Runner exists in and helping you as the game runner, which did I read in your review that runner is what they're called, which I think yes. is kind of a, yeah, I love that actually. Yeah. Um, Blade and, runners and game runners and game runners is making sure that the atmosphere, the tone, the ambiance of the world makes sense. But would I also assume correctly that there's a lot of this book that is about how to run these style of games and giving you tools and resources to build your own version of the story? So yes and no. Okay. And this is where my quibbles about this game, the very, very few, I'll say criticisms, but I don't mean it that harshly. Okay. About this game exists. So as I said before, the book is basically a campaign setting for LA. This book details every single part of future 2037 fighting robots LA that you could possibly imagine. The book does not give you anything outside of LA. Okay. So if you wanted to bounce around outside LA, that's up to you to make it up. Now you can still use the rules and the story and obviously do whatever you want, but the book is 
its structure, its spine, its foundation is living, this living and breathing city of future LA. Um, and as a cop working in LA, LA is your jurisdiction. So there really shouldn't be a reason to go out of LA. So the book is focused on helping you as the game runner know everything about this city, be able to create a vivid, vibrant, engaging world. The book is also jam-packed full of gorgeous art. There is not a page of this book that does not have something gorgeous to look at, Mm -hmm. even if it is just the background art. It's this great kind of washed out, grainy style. And to me, that really fits Blade Runner. You may not remember this in the movies, but the movies are all about like the mood and atmosphere that the first Blade Runner, it was like raining all the time. It was miserable. You've got the bright neon the versus this grungy underworld. The second movie takes us kind of out of the city and we see different parts of the city, but still the majority of the movie, which is why it's kind of boring is just atmosphere and scenery. It's, it's this vast desolate, and structured and cast system separated world like the game book just lets you walk into this tone and the colors and the feeling of the game that being said i think it could use some more examples about how to create your own story okay and here's why as i said wait hold on i kicked my table as I said, the short and long of a, a game session is you go to the chief's office, you get a mission, and you go solve the case. The game breaks a case file into kind of a timeline of events. And these are events that happen regardless of whether the player characters are there or not. Mm-hmm which is why knowing the city, knowing the districts is so important, knowing the locations of this shop or this lab or this person's house. So there, there is one pre-printed adventure called, uh, I always get it wrong, Electric Dreams. And it gives us the, the, the structure to follow. So basically, um, as players are moving through days and shifts, you as a player are saying, okay, my character is on the morning shift and they went to this district and they're looking around. Okay, well, I'm going to go with them. Well, I'm not going to go with them. I'm going to take the morning shift off and work second shift today and I'm going to go over there. So you're kind of saying where you are in the city doing things. And then as the game runner, you, you kind of have a list of, all right, on day one, in, at second shift, sometime in the afternoon, this thing happens in the shopping district. On day two, at midnight, this other thing happens. On day three, and at dawn, this happens, but at midnight, this happens. So you've got this kind of timeline structure, and almost like... Um, some monster of the week games that kind of organized by a timeline of what happens if you don't intervene, Mm -hmm. the case file kind of says, okay, this person gets killed. And then this guy is over here and this person's over there. And at the end of the day, this is how it wraps up. 
if you don't, as the police force, investigate and find the clues, these events just kind of play out whether or not you are there. Okay. I can see how that could be difficult as a game runner if you don't have either good examples to follow or mm-hmm. like I'm probably overcomplicating it, but I can see a world where the players just make a couple bad choices early and then are always behind. Like yes. they just they pick a bad district or a bad shift, then something else happens. And I, you know, again, I can see how there's almost like a catch-up mechanic where, okay, we did investigate, and then this other murder happened, but now we have a crime scene to investigate where there will be clues mm-hmm. that will help us make a better choice tomorrow. Yes. But at some point, you're going to have a whole string of bodies if you're just not good at investigating things, either as a player or a character. And that's exactly it. I mean, think of a very typical cop movie. There's plenty of times in a cop movie where they make the wrong choice, they cover the wrong exit, and a bad guy gets away. They they stake out point A, but the crime happened at point B. It's that feel of a game. Yes, you missed it, but it's still a big event driving the story forward. So I don't think you're supposed to feel disappointed if you're not if you're not making the right choice, but you're supposed to feel that pressure of your chief phoning you up and saying, hey, what the hell are you doing? Why aren't you at the crime scene? Why didn't you find the clues? And that's why part of the advancement mechanic is kind of based on your reputation uh, within the police force, as well as like, did you piss off the brass? They're Mm -hmm. not going to let you get advanced, but did you make a, uh, did you strike up a relationship with, I don't know, the the mortuary attendant or the the medical investigator or something like that. Maybe that actually helps you level up a little bit because of these relationships you build. So there's lots of different options to advance your character and keep the story moving forward. Um, the, The book says in the case files, basically it gives you the starting point and the ending point and how the, players choose to get from start to end is kind of up to them those starting and ending points are kind of the locked in most important things ending with that big showdown with whatever the case is how they bounce between the districts on the shifts and what clues they find may help them get there faster or slower but they will always get to the conclusion of the case file okay so as written in Electric Dreams, which is the example given. So there is a sample adventure. There is a sample adventure. Um, The story is basically telling us as game runners, always get them, always get your players and characters to the ending. If they made some mistakes along the way, the ending may be not the one they hoped for, or it may be more challenging, or it may be very disappointing, but they always get to experience the end of the story. They don't just miss out on it because they missed a clue. Gotcha. And speaking of the included sample adventure, Electric Dreams, the resources given with this sample adventure are amazing. We have got uh, everything from crime scene photos to dossiers of the NPCs that we investigate. We've got maps. We have things like magazines and newspapers from the game world. 
And interestingly, if you're playing through the sample adventure, it's basically saying, okay, hand out these clues to this player. If, if the player says, I want to go talk to so-and-so, give them their case file, or I want to look at the photos, give them the photos mm. instead of just saying, okay, roll investigation. Let me tell you what you find. Here's a photo. See if you can actually see a clue. Oh. Like it's structured to do that, which is awesome. But if I'm writing my own adventure, I don't have that resource. You don't have that. Yeah. That's another tiny, tiny quibble with this game. Like the sample adventure sets the bar so high. I don't know if I can deliver that if I'm not following a printed pre-made game. Right. Um, I don't think it's a downside at all. It's just something to consider. Like if you play the sample adventure and then continue the story, your players might be right. a little bummed so out. <laughs> part, part of my, you know, capitalist brain here is, well, that means they're going to sell me stuff. Yes. That, I mean, are there other adventures you can buy at that level of, you know, excellence i don't know last time i checked the website there was not but the the website says electric dreams is the first in a long series of stories essentially a campaign that Mm -hmm. all relate and what the what the website said is that while the stories all relate you don't have to tell them in the same order like there are events that happen in the city of la And there are characters that will populate these events and populate the world. And we will see these recurring characters and you can follow a story from A to B to C to D. But if there's a a story you don't like, or you want to throw your own in, in the middle, it's not going to derail the story. Okay. That being said, Electric Dreams, last time I checked, was the only printed adventure that had all of these resources. So there's nothing else yet. There's no follow-up yet. Okay. But I would assume that the next version, the next story, whatever it's called, is going to have those same types of resources. Okay. Um, And and that's what I think beyond maybe being a little disappointing and challenging is the, the, the one main gap with this book. I just want more insight into how to write a case file. Mm -hmm. The, there are, There is a guide in the book. There is a, as a game runner, how do you write a case file? And there's steps to follow and there's instructions and examples. Compared to the size of the book, it's barely anything. Okay. Like there's about 10 pages of how to write a case file. The book is well over 200 pages. And we've got this one example of a pre-written case file. So that's kind of slim pickings for how do I do my job if I am running this game. Mm -hmm. So my really, my only complaint is I want more examples and what do I do to make a game as great as the pre-printed adventure, the sample adventure, if I don't have these same resources, how do I deliver the vibe? Because the Blade Runner movies are all about vibe and tone. The, the book is overwhelmingly focused on how do I deliver the tone of the city and the feeling of the city, the atmosphere. And then when it comes to running my own game and making up a story from scratch, I feel it's kind of lacking in how I deliver that. Okay. Now, as, as a seasoned game master, game runner, I think I can do it. 
if I was brand new, just picking this book up because I love Blade Runner and this seems like a cool thing to buy, I'd probably struggle. Okay. So they give you a, an amazing start, but maybe not all the tools you need to continue it on your own. Yeah. It's tough. Like the tools are there, but I want more. I just want more. No, I think that's a fair criticism. Uh, so we, we no longer break things down exactly the way we used to. I just felt like not, not all of the, the rubric really made sense every time. But you talked about the art. Generally, you said it was amazing art, Oof. all kinds of art. So I would Oof. say the art gets high marks. High marks. All right. We talk about the, the fluff, the story of the world, and you seem to really like that. High marks. All right. Mechanics, your zero engine. Not sure how much of a variant this is because we are not familiar enough with the base year zero engine, but generally you like these mechanics. Do they work for, you want to shoot at someone? If you want to yes. interrogate someone, they work, they're intuitive, they're simple, but they're also fun to do. It's intuitive. It's really easy to grasp if you're a new player. It's really easy to explain to new players if I know the game and you don't. It's really easy to teach. It's really easy to figure out from your character sheet. Uh, I said intuitive already, but it is very intuitive. I also feel like it is, I'm trying to think of the word I want to use here. It doesn't really necessarily, it's not really a case of where the mechanics fit the story. Like some games, the mechanics really help tell the story. Mm -hmm. This is one where I don't think it's a perfect match, but the, rolling two dice and really hoping for one good result kind of fits that desperate, oh my God, am I going to make it out of this encounter alive vibe? Okay. I mean, you haven't watched the movie in a long time, but I, I know you know the reference of from the first movie, you know, Decker hanging off the the edge of the building tears in the rain tears in the rain yep. like that moment of oh my god i'm about to die these mechanics make me feel that okay like That's how great. desperate it is so yes so, mechanics yeah. nail it so core uh, so fluff good crunch good uh mechan uh, art good yeah um layout any comment on how it's presented in the book at ease of navigating the orders presented in anything like that i think it's it's solid I think it makes sense reading the pages in order. I never found a situation where I was like, oh my God, where is this in the book? I, I, that doesn't make sense to me. Like it felt really, uh, there was a great flow. There was a great structure, easy to read, easy to navigate. Also very easy to flip back and find references when you needed to. It okay. wasn't like, oh, this is lost in the middle of a page just of solid words. Very easy uh, the pages are very nicely sectioned and partitioned. It's very easy to find what you need. Right, very cool. So it sounds like this is going to get a pretty high mark for you. Again, there's a couple quibbles. We touched on those already. But if you're going to give this an overall rating, C minus to A plus, where does this fall for you? I'm giving this an A. A, nice. I, the only thing that kept it from being an A plus is just me wanting more of some of that support as a runner. Okay. All right. Well, obviously, thank you to Free League. They did send us a digital copy of this game for Caleb to review. Uh, I will put links in the show notes. Uh, if you are interested, dear listener, to check this out yourself, go to their web store, maybe buy your own copy. We are not affiliated with them. We do not get any sort of incentive. If you click our link, it's just there for your convenience. I will often put a generic Amazon link next to it. 
we do get that. So if you go to, if you're shopping on Amazon at all for anything, if you click that link first, I will get a small percentage uh, for referencing new thing there. It, it's, it's a thing. Uh, Caleb, as always, thank you so much for taking the time and the deep dives and thoroughness of your review. Where can people interact with you on the internet to hear more about your opinions on gaming or any other activities you would like to share? Here's your time to plug, sir. So I am on the socials at the Caleb G. Uh, you can also hear me every other Tuesday on the Identico, speaking of cyberpunk, right. cyberpunk game, uh, Chaos Incorporated. So that's twitch.tv slash Identico. All of the Identico stuff is also being loaded onto YouTube regularly. So the Identico YouTube channel, thanks to uh, our good friend Kaylee, who's also on Chaos Inc. with me from the Redemption podcast. So you can hear me over there. You can see me on the internet. I'm most frequently on the RPG Academy Discord. That's kind of my go-to internet nowadays. It's a nice little corner of the internet. It's a nice little corner. And, you know, I, I kind of get bummed out when people aren't active because they have lives. I, yeah, I, I, I open Discord. I'm like, where is everybody? <laughs> oh, they're probably doing family things. Yeah, they're probably, oh. it, it's 4 a.m. on a Monday. Why That's am right. I here? <laughs> exactly. So yeah. I'm on that Discord. And I also have a charity project, Point Five Past, where uh, I'm trying to put together some gaming, some free gaming resources and podcasts and such with the request that you help support charity that we uh, point you towards with a donation. I started that last year, kind of slowed down at the end of the year over the holidays, but I'm trying to pick that up with some interesting projects for the rest of this year. All right. Very, very cool. Uh, you can find me, of course, at the RPG Academy on all the socials that I'm on, mostly Twitter, but I do Facebook. I'm getting into Mastodon a little bit as Twitter seems to burn to the ground. I am on the Discord quite a lot. Um, I actually lurk more than you probably would think as the quote, quote unquote face of the Discord, but I do enjoy just jumping in and tagging on other things as people posting. And I'm obviously really hip, hip deep into a catacomb, or not a catacomb, I keep saying that, Action 12 Cinema. We're less than 60 days away from the launch Woo! i got some art the last couple of days i've been sharing i'm very excited about that uh very nervous and anxious about the project but I, i'm fairly confident but you know uh, I'm always going to be anxious and nervous. Uh, we mentioned sample adventures. I'll just plug that quickly. We are doing a sample adventure tomorrow night. Um, my Ooh. goal is to get this episode out in the morning. So if you listen to this right away, Monday morning, afternoon, later that same night, Monday, January 9th, we are going to do a sample adventure of the Brindlewood Bay RPG. Uh, this is sort of a um, murder she wrote meets Golden Girls meets Call of Cthulhu. Uh, the characters are all what are called <laughs> murder mystery mavens of these elderly ladies in like a retirement community in an area called Brindlewood Bay, where there's just way too many people getting murdered. They investigate these murders. And if you continue to play, you can kind of uncover this really sort of almost supernatural or dark bent to some of these murders. They might be tied together in a way that's not initially apparent we are playing the sample adventure i don't think there's any supernatural elements to this it's just a bunch of old lady solving mysteries i am playing Flochelle rogers aka Flo, who likes to bake in her spare time if you're having fun you're doing it right thanks and we'll see you next time goodbye